Hello, I'm Rena Grobe, and I'm Madhvi Romani, and this is Misinformed, where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Madhvi, what did you get obsessed with this week? So this week, I got obsessed with this series of articles on long reads called Queens of Infamy. It's a series by Anne Terolt, I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, and it focuses on world historical women of centuries past and just how they've been portrayed by historians, if they've been forgotten, and what's really amazing about it, it's written so hilariously. She does little bits of dialogue, it's really snarky, she swears... Yeah, it's just a really great series that focuses on all these women and makes them real and relatable and shines a light on just how misogynistic history is. Yes. I was watching Caroline Zabrowska's YouTube video, Common Women's History Myths That We Need to Let Go. One of the things that she said that struck me most about myths that we have or misconceptions that we have about women in history is the fact that most of the things that we believe to be true, for example, she talks about this idea that I think it's like in the Victorian age, showing your ankle was considered very scandalous. And she breaks this down really nicely by pointing out that this is extremely classist. And in her book, The Women's Suffragette Movement, historian Sally Roche-Wagner has this quote where she says, history isn't what happened, it's who tells the story. And I was thinking about this specifically in terms of this idea of, oh, showing your ankle, that was considered really scandalous. And it's like, yeah, but scandalous for who? The women who did manual labor, they had to show their ankles. Also, as she rightfully points out in the video, women showed their ankles all of the time. They got in and out of carriages. There were so many factors involved that it's such a simplistic and weird hardened myth that sort of somehow dug its way into our consciousness. That's not even true. And just this classist nature of how we view history and specifically of how we view women because I guess that yeah women were seen as pious and virginal or whatever and so this idea of like an ankle being scandalous. Yeah it's interesting the question of who writes history because in the long read series for example with Catherine de Medici she says had Catherine de Medici been a man she would have probably been remembered as one of the greatest European rulers But because she was a woman, she's referred to as a maggot and a serpent. She had such a dramatic and terrible life. When she was a little girl, there was a siege of Florence, and then she was put into a nunnery. She was treated really badly. She was orphaned. Both her parents died. She had 10 children. She had a husband who didn't love her. Her husband, he was the son of King Francis of France. And when the king got kidnapped... He basically swapped his two sons so he could go back to France until he, they got the ransom. So his two sons, who were like six and eight, and one of them was Henry, Catherine de Medici's husband, they were just imprisoned for like 10 years. And then when they came back, Francis was uh, complaining <laughs> that they were a bit sullen. <laughs> I mean, the royal families are also completely, completely messed up. And I would, in some cases, I would say... It looks like they had to put up with way more crap than probably working class women. But anyway, Catherine de' Medici was a great diplomat because she was ruling while her sons were very, you know, young. So she was basically in charge. And when she took over, 
there was a lot of conflicts and a lot of intrigue between the Huguenots and the Protestants and the Catholics and all that blah. And what she did in order to keep the peace, which was super hard to do at that time in Europe when the religious wars were basically going on, was she decided that she was just going to throw lavish parties. And these parties had two main goals. One was to keep the nobility, both Catholics and Protestants, too drunk and too happy to fight. And the second thing was it was a kind of PR move to show the world that the House of Valor was as vital and magnificent as during the years of Francis I and Henry II. And then, during this time, when she's doing this kind of diplomacy, she created the Flying Squadron. And have you ever heard of the Flying Squadron? I have not. What is the Flying Squadron? I'm just going to read you the little dialogue that Anne does in her long reads, because it's just so funny the way she writes. So, what's the Flying Squadron? Honey, I'm glad you asked. It's a group of political agents who just happen to be beautiful women. Turns out, men will spill all their secrets if you show a little skin. Like slip and nip while asking who they're plotting to bring down. And they'll just tell you. Men are so weak and predictable. It almost makes me feel bad, like I'm taking candy from a baby. But, you know, a baby that would destroy my life if it had the chance. So the Flying Squadron were Catherine's spies, and they brought back information about political manoeuvrance. And at this time in France, in Europe, there were a lot. There was so much intrigue. And so they used to distract men also who might otherwise have gone about igniting religious tensions. So Isabel de Limuel, she began an affair with Louis of Condé and she was so successful in her objectives that he quit attending Protestant service for a while. That's brilliant, right? It's the first iteration of spying. That's how the Russians and the Americans, and if you watch the Americans on Netflix, they just sleep with everyone because... It is the easiest way to get intimacy and get information. And Catherine de' Medici invented this. It makes me think of the character Irene Adler from Sherlock Holmes. Um, I must admit that I haven't read Sherlock Holmes, but in the recent BBC adaptation, the character is a dominatrix, and she does exactly this. She extracts secrets from men in power, and in the BBC Sherlock Holmes adaptation... She does it so that she can misbehave in the world. She uses it as a form of blackmail. But I don't know if the character of Irene Adler in the original Arthur Conan Doyle version is like this as well, or if this is just a modern take on it. One of the things that Carolyn Zabrowska says in her video, for example, also is this idea of like the nip slip and how about back in like, I think she says like the 15th or the 16th century, boobs were not sexualized in that way, which is why you often see these old paintings with women with their nipples out, because it didn't matter, because thighs were scandalous, but a boob wasn't. Fascinating. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. And she also makes very specific reference, for example, to, I believe, the show Bridgerton, because she talks about how in that show, all of the girls have no idea what's coming. In the show, it's depicted that all of the girls, when they get married, they have no idea about sex. But she says, actually, this would not have been true because women have always talked. They've always informed each other about what's going to happen. So even if their mothers wouldn't have told them anything or given them, I think in the show, she says that she gives her a lukewarm talk. Say, we have historical evidence that women would have talked amongst one another. Their friends would have told them. So this historical depiction of women not knowing anything about sex is completely incorrect. And I, I like this picture she draws up where she says that 
The girls would have gossiped amongst one another if they found out any information. They would have shared it with their friends. Or even, like, if one of them went and got married first and things happened, they would have shared that information. And today, I got my nails done, which is just as surprising to me as it is to everyone else. But there was something really nice about how in this nail salon, it was just women. It felt like this weird safe space. And I was kind of thinking about this idea of how getting your nails done, getting your hair done, all of these things are kind of patriarchal ideas of femininity that are sort of pushed upon women. But at the same time, there was some sort of, yeah, it just kind of felt like a weird little like cocoon, all of these women being in this space together, performing these rituals. And it made me think of that Eli Shafak book where she describes through this young girl's eyes how she values these moments when all of the women would gather in their kitchen to remove their hair and share secrets and share tales and stories. And I don't know, there was something, there was something nice about femininity through this lens, specifically in terms of sharing stories and passing along knowledge and just in a patriarchal society, women finding comfort and finding security and community within these ideas. And also made me think of this idea of like, oh yeah, you know, women are mocked for having jewelry, but sort of one of the reasons why women are so heavily associated with jewelry was back in the day, women couldn't open bank accounts. So jewelry was very important because they were a thing they could have that had worth and that like gave them financial security in a time when there was no other way. Yeah, this idea of just, wow, we think women in history were such innocent lambs. They didn't know anything without taking into consideration that they had these oral traditions. They passed along information and they were there for each other, regardless of the confines that they were working within. I mean, I think women have always had these spaces and the way that women are always depicted, like we said, is from men's point of view. And men don't know that these spaces and they don't know the conversations we have. And so all of that is missing completely. And I was reading about Boudicca. Boudicca is this great English warrior queen the story of Boudicca is super interesting because she was part of a tribe and she was married to a tribal leader during the Roman Empire. And when he died, in his will, he said he would leave half of his stuff to the emperor and half to his family. And then Rome did not honor that. So they got into a big fight. Then what they did was publicly flogged Boudicca and raped both of her daughters in front of her. And... That's basically why she just decided because of all this injustice. And there was a lot of injustice happening during the Roman Empire. And it's actually super interesting to see how the patterns of empire repeat. Because if you see the Britons uprising against the Roman Empire and how the Britons, you know, druid religion and all their land and the way that they were treated, you know, were being destroyed by the Romans. It's very interesting that, you know, 2000 years later or less than 2000 years later, they were doing the same around the world, so that's kind of interesting. But yeah, the injustice of the Roman Empire was the thing that drove Boudicca to basically scorch entire cities. And where she was, there is a layer of red clay in the earth because she trashed that place. But anyway, in the uh, Queens of Infamy series, the writer says this is kind of infuriating that there's not more information on Boudicca because the only information we get is really from like Dior or Tacitus. And they were writing from a Roman point of view about a hundred years later. And the Romans always conceived of the Britons as this savage barbarian race. And then, you know, she was a woman. And I mean, we don't know much about her life. 
We just know about the battles. And what the writer asks is, what was her life like back before she entered recorded history as a bloodthirsty warrior queen? I try to imagine her in quiet moments of bliss, on her wedding night, or touching her daughter's hair as they sleep, or hurtling alone in a chariot down a track. So yeah, these moments of women's lives, which are super powerful and important, are left out. All we know of Boudicca is the fact that she slaughtered a lot of people and led a bunch of people into battle against the Romans and was responsible for a big uprising. But like you're saying, where are those moments where women are just sitting around and exchanging knowledge and where has all that knowledge gone and nobody's recorded it and it's really such a shame. You know what you made me think of? Have you read or watched Mother Courage and All Her Children? No. It's a play by Bertolt Brecht and it's set during the Thirty Year War and it's about Mother Courage. Mother Courage has two sons and one daughter and obviously it's a Brecht play so the whole thing is about the rise of fascism and the rise of the Nazis. If you don't know who Bertolt Brecht is, he was a German playwright from Augsburg. Socialist. He was a socialist, yeah. He fled Germany with the rise of the National Socialists, and then he went to America, and then he actually had to flee America because he was a communist. So when the McCarthy period happened, he came back to Germany. If you're in Berlin, go visit his grave. He's amazing. Anyway, he has this play, Mother Courage and All Her Children, and Throughout the whole play, her children die and terrible things happen. And Mother Courage just continues. She continues to, you know, she pulls her cart. She sells things to the soldiers. And there's this beautiful, like when you think about it, the resilience of this woman. Her children are dying. She's experiencing such hardship. She's part of this terrible war. And yet she goes on. And I think that there's there's so many women in history whose contribution, I don't even want to say was underplayed but just straight up ignored because women are so resilient and they put up with so much and yeah history is always written by mostly men it's always men and men focus on their story so you know they're going to war on stuff but nobody's telling the story of the women and what their experience is like for example like women in world war ii entering the workforce to make up for the lack of male workers it's such a i'm not condoning war by any means but it's this thing of like there was an issue and so women solved the issue but when we talk about world war ii we don't talk about the women who stayed home and made it possible for these men to go off and fight the nazis or whatever I mean, it's a little more complicated than that. But people will be like, they'll talk about where their grandfathers were on D-Day and stuff. And you're like, what about the women who stayed home and kept society going? Well, they also had to deal with the after effect of the men coming back, the men being traumatized, the men not coming back. Yeah, women are really strong. And that's such a shitty thing, though, having to be strong. The fact that we live in a society where... As a woman, your strength is measured by how much shit you can put up with. Yeah, like Catherine de' Medici, her husband had this affair with this woman his entire life, and she just had to live with it. And we were talking about sex. She apparently drilled a hole through her floor so she could see them having sex, just to make sure that she, you know, she was doing the sex right or whatever. While she was, you know, she had a lot of pressure at the same time to bear children. And also, all the blame always went to the woman. Apparently, her 
husband Henry had a crooked penis or something and then they went to see a doctor and the doctor told them to change position and then after that point they basically had 10 children so great advice from the doctor. I think also along with the lines of that like yeah history is told by the victors but we also not only have like a very classist view of history but also there's like a obviously a sexist view to history but also racism kind of plays a very large part in this. For example a lot of the times when you learn, for example, about American history, about the women's suffragette movement, you're often taught that, like, ah, oh, yeah, women were granted the right to vote in 1920, not keeping in mind that this, like, only applied to white women, but more specifically the fact that actually Native American women had political power for thousands of years before that. So, like, whose lens are we telling this history through? Also, the fact that the oldest university, it's commonly said that, like, Oxford University is one of the oldest universities, but it's, it's not. The oldest university was actually in Morocco, founded in 1859. And so there's so many multiple layers when it comes to how we depict history and what's remembered. And I feel like we not only need to really think about how we view m women in history, but also through what lens. Just because you mentioned the Native Americans and... You were talking about women's spaces before. It reminded me of this idea of the red tent ritual, where in tribes, obviously, because women's periods tend to go together, all the women would basically have their periods at the same time. And then they would live in a separate tent while menstruating. During this time, a woman was considered to be more creative and in tune with the spirit world. And the men would actually bring them food and everything. And they would have this space all by themselves, all these women, which I think is a very beautiful idea. And it really makes me wonder what the conversations were. And it's a shame that we don't have access to what was said and how it was like and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, because it wasn't considered important, so it wasn't properly documented. We used to work in a women's only agency. And it was a very different atmosphere, isn't it? There is such an openness, not any shame about discussing your periods or your cramps or anything. I think to concentrate on the period thing is also that women, when they get together, they just discuss women's things because actually... We discussed a lot of other things and we were super productive and super collaborative and the amount of stuff that got done in this collaborative way was beyond in any office or traditional structure that I've seen. But I think that obviously don't want to reduce being a woman to having a period or anything that women talk about is just having periods. But I do think that that was really important in the sense of Having your period impacts every aspect of your life so much. And in a normal context, you have to hide it. And so it was kind of nice just to be like, you know what? I'm on my period and everything's shit. And I'm just going to tell you that everything's shit. And everyone here knows exactly what it's like. Again, not to say to be a woman, you have to have a period. But it did help. But also, I think it wasn't just the periods. It was, oh, I just broke up with my partner. Yeah. And similar things. So yeah, women getting together and talking, just telling their stories is really important. And on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, read the Queens of Infamy series. We will link to it in our newsletter. It is super good. Women's history being told in a sassy way by a woman. And it's enlightening. Thing two, do something in a women forward space, such as getting a manicure, getting your hair done. I know that there's a lot of patriarchal ideas connected with this, but maybe... Don't take these female spaces for granted and just really enjoy being in women's company and having these safe spaces. And thing three, 
There are a lot of very talented women writing memoirs right now. Rina and I regularly read them. If you sign up to our newsletter and you want some recommendations, every week we say what we're reading or watching or listening to, and most of it is memoirs and books written by women. So if you want a great resource, sign up to our newsletter. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this podcast please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events, and links to all our sources, references, and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud, or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.